Hello and good day to you fine folks. Welcome to our weekly audio gallery of perversions. This is T.C. Rollins. And this is Rain DeGray. For those of you who are either joining us for the first time or don't know how this works, we come out with an episode every week, but only every other episode is released to the general public. The other ones can be found on our Patreon at patreon.com backslash dirty talk podcast. So if you want to hear double the dirty talk, you can go there and get all the odd numbered episodes because all these even numbered episodes are broadcast out to you, our loving public at large. Join us over there if you'd like to or not. Either way, we'll just keep putting these ones out for free for your listening pleasure. I want to start this week with the future. Uh, is it a good future? I don't Tell know. Me it's good. It's, it's, is it good? It's, is, is the future good? We have dreams of a good future. This is for you to determine. I will give you the facts, and then you can determine for yourself if this is a future you want to live in. Because as you know, the future is getting closer every day. Constantly. Give me the facts. We are hurling towards a future where, here's the setup. They have just created artificial mouse embryos. So the embryo, they can, they've caught, wait, does that mean what I think that means? What do you think it means? The, the, if you can create an, an artificial embryo, that is the last hurdle. The last hurdle of? Not needing artificial insemination, artificial life, mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Cloning, reproduction, yeah, immor- immortality. The reason why this is important is this is the first time an embryo has been created without sperm, eggs, or even a uterus. See, immortality, I'm telling you. What they have been able to do is take stem cells, and they found if they take oh. stem cells and put them together in what they call an artificial womb, they start naturally forming an embryo. They did this with mice. They kept them in this artificial womb to the point where after a few days, they started developing hearts, flowing blood, and cranial folds, and even little proto-tails. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the future I want to be in. This is the future. Well, it it gets a little spookier. Okay. No, no, but I'm excited. You're excited because now we could create people. This is like true clones where it's like previous to this, you could get some genetic material, but you'd still have to get a human egg and some sperm together and everything like that. But this is amazing because they can do it all with just some of your stem cells. And of course, they don't want to end this with mice because a new company out of Israel called Renewal Bio wants to start using this technology to create human embryos. Now, they're not necessarily human embryos. They are pseudo-embryos because legally, here's the gray area, is legally they don't know if they will be considered human embryos or life or if they will be protected under the law as people because no sex has happened. There's been no fertilization all they've done is taken some stem cells, put them together, put them in this artificial womb, and created a. So how? But how would they not embryo. be humans? They would. They would be. They would totally be humans. Maybe like, if you if you took it to the next level. So far, they've only been able to keep them alive for a short period of time because at some point they would have to transplant them with a placenta to, to get enough nutrients to be able to develop further along. But they're theorizing mm. that with their artificial wombs that they have, they can get them to the point where they can start developing organs 
And then we can harvest these organs from the embryos and use them for organ transplants in people. So if you're aging and dying, and let's say you need a new liver, Mm -hmm. they can take some Mm -hmm. of your stem cells, start growing an embryo in the lab from your stem cells. And then once it gets to the point where it starts developing organs after a number of weeks, they just take the liver, let's say, out of your embryo that is technically you, and then continue to grow the liver and then transplant it into your body or transplant those liver cells into your own body so your body can start constructing the liver out of it. Yeah, give me that scalpel, slice and dice. Let's take that liver. So you're cool with creating a rain embryo and be like, I'm just going to grow you embryo to harvest your organs for myself. Yes. Since there is this debate as to the legality of, of it all course. and whether whether people are going to be opposed to growing embryos in the lab. That's so cool. They it's are, cool. Their response to this is, well... Suck my dick? Well, no, not, not fully suck my dick. Their response is, we can grow embryos without heads so right, that right. they would be completely non-viable outside of this artificial womb. So therefore there could be no debate. I was seeing the embryo without heads. I was seeing a headless embryo. Seeing yeah, a headless embryo. Or they yeah, could yeah, grow an embryo without lungs or without right, any right. other vital organ. So they can say, this is not viable yeah, outside well, here. Because you know that people are going to come and say, you're growing people in a lab. Even if no, they're like growing... 95% identical, like the mouse embryos that have been growing are 95% identical to actual real natural mouse embryos. People are going to say, these are people. You can't do this to people. No, they're, you're growing spare parts. That's awesome. I'm super into it. So this is this is the future. Yeah, yeah. We are one step yeah. away from oh, growing it. spare parts yes. for ourselves. Yes, good. I have a bad knee. Can, if we can get on that chop, chop, I'd like to get my knee replaced. You're going to have an embryo build a knee? You just you? give me a new knee cartilage. Put well, it they in can already, They can already create and grow cartilage in a lab. And, this, is, this, is, this is for more complex organs because they haven't I been want, able to get to the point well, my where My liver they can is make... just fine. My, what I'm saying is like I know the liver's first. I've got a bad knee. I would like a whole new knee replacement. I also I've got a bad back. I'd like to get that fixed too. I understand that's lower ranking than mm-hmm. liver. My liver and kidneys and heart and lungs are fine. Well, I don't know if an embryo is going to help you with this. Well, I can dream. Why are you trying to crush my dreams? You brought me into dreams. the future, and now you're just crushing I'm not trying my to crush dreams. dreams. I'm just saying that we are closer than ever to this sci-fi notion of growing other people. There's been stories and movies and everything made about this, where you like grow yourself in a lab. To harvest yeah. your own organs. Like, these I are my it. organs, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you can't have those. It must be mine. I'm full of organs now. <laughs> Look at all those healthy organs. One of the things that they're theorizing they can do with this is that uh, females, when they have reached the point of not being able to produce any viable eggs anymore, just because they've gotten uh, past menopause, is that they can create an embryo from their stem cells and once the gonads in the embryo develop they can remove the gonads and then either continue growing those in the lab or then implanting them into the female as well and they can start producing healthy young eggs so we can prolong our fertility way way out past what it naturally is now by doing this i love it you love the future yeah 
Yeah, yeah. That's see, some parts of the future you're like, ooh, all right, maybe a little less climate change. But stuff like that, artificially extending out your fertility and being able to create a spare kidney, mm-hmm. uh, that's the type of future I can get into. Was this kind of technology that's going to enable humans to live longer and longer and longer? Uh, you know, it's theorized now probably somebody alive today will live to be 150 years old. And of course, with this, if you can just grow new mini-me's of yourself in the lab, and then you're like, I need a new heart. I need you know, this and this. And it's yours. It's not going to be rejected because it's all right. coming straight it's from your co- body. There's one of the greatest hurdles we have right now is that, that people have to take immune-suppressing drugs for the rest of their life so that their body doesn't reject an organ. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly challenging. You're like, I've got to take this medicine forever for as long as I'm alive to suppress my immune response or my body's going to boot out this kidney. Mm-hmm. Now you're like, no, no, I get to keep these lungs. Everything's fine and dandy. It's, it's actually my, it's my lungs. Like mm-hmm. I love that. What a great way to overcome that hurdle. Yeah. It's super into it. And the future is coming at you, hurling at your head on Hard a daily basis. Hard and fast. It is. I did mention in that story that they think it has the potential to prolong the reproductive cycle of of people who have gone through menopause and can no longer produce viable eggs. Mm-hmm. Another recent study that I was looking into that came out of uh, the University of Social Science and Humanities in Warsaw found that women are more creative during ovulation. What? Mm-hmm. There's been a number of studies that had previously supported this hypothesis. In this latest study, they took 72 women between the age of 18 and 35 who were not pregnant or breastfeeding or were using any hormonal contraceptives, and they gave them tests of their saliva and their urine to determine what phase of their menstrual cycle they were in. They also gave them cognitive tests during the different phases of their menstrual cycle. And based on what they found through the study is their creativity and their ability to come up with original ideas increased when they were ovulating. So when they were at their peak fertility, they were at their peak creativity. Huh. How? I mean, I guess it would all come down to hormones and we are indeed a bag of chemicals. One of the reasons they're theorizing that this happens is it's signaling your viability to a potential mate. So beyond physical characteristics, there are a lot of other characteristics that are considered desirable to mates, one of them being creativity. So is creativity that desirable? Creativity is desirable because it leads to survival. The more original Um, ideas that you can come up with, the better you can find your way out of tricky situations, which will prolong your survival. So a lot of, if you look, there's a lot of people that are attracted to highly creative people that might not be the most attractive people in the world. And you wouldn't consider them necessarily for mates, but they are so highly creative that they within themselves are just desirable. It's true. I'm I yes. I resemble that remark in that I love creativity. So they think it's signaling to 
other potential partners that when you're ovulating, um, when you're at your peak um, fertility, okay. your, your creativity increases, thereby signaling to these potential mates, hey, I'm highly creative, maybe you should come and impregnate me. This is, this is just one of the theories. Okay. The other theory that they were punting around was when you're ovulating and you're getting ready to be impregnated, the heightened creativity might serve you in protecting yourself from other external dangers that might appear in nature. I could see that. Like, that does make sense. I, I always go back when people do conspiracy theories is like, where's the money? Where's mm -hmm. the benefit? Like, when, things don't happen without benefit. Yeah, well, there's so the evolutionary like, payoff. A, is yeah. That the more creative you, you are. At finding yeah. new food sources or evading predators or finding shelter or anything, the better off you are at survival, the better your offspring are going to be. A piggyback study that they've done along with this found that women who were using hormonal contraception didn't have the same effect on their cycle. They found no boost in creativity with them. In fact, they found that the women that were taking uh, hormonal contraception had a lower creativity compared to the ones that were naturally cycling. So they were really? warning. Yeah, they were warning against fertility options that alter the natural cycle. If if creativity is something that you value, you might be I able to find- I value creativity very much. And I was also on hormonal birth control for 15 years. I don't feel that it affected my creativity in any way. Well, this is just one of the things. I mean, it right, right. Uh, you I take have, it with a grain of salt. Yeah. No, I mean, I have heard a lot of women report to me that they have all sorts of side effects from being on hormonal birth control. Mm. And I could see that that could possibly be a side effect. Maybe I would have been tons more creative if I hadn't been on the pill. But only while you were at your peak fertility, while you were yeah, ovulating. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you just have these creative bursts of ideas. Or, oh, my God. For that brief <laughs> moment every month. Right. Yeah. So there you have it. Potentially, women are more creative at the peak of their ovulation. That's fascinating. I could actually see that. That makes sense as a theory. I have an, another potential for you okay. uh, in, in terms of fertility and birthing. And while it hasn't been conclusively proven, there's enough alleged references and the case for it makes sense. So I want to run this by you. Okay. When you think of a woman giving birth, what position is she in? Like when you when you shut your eyes and you think of a woman delivering a child, how is she positioning her body? Well, I don't have to imagine it because I was there for the birth of my daughter. And oh, were you? Her, Excellent. This her, was her mother was laying on her back with her feet up in the stirrups. Aha. Uh -huh. Do you know that that is a relatively new position, and through most of human history, that's not at all how births happened. Yes. Yeah. For most of human history, they would squat. Sometimes they'd dig a hole in the ground and they'd squat over the hole and then the baby would fall into their little divot. Yes. So in the squatting position, it is the easiest to push the baby out. Mm -hmm. You also have gravity working with you. Mm -hmm. So not only are you having to push less and gravity is helping assist the birth, but it is how we're basically designed mm -hmm. to give birth. And all of that changed. Mm -hmm. We don't have 
it's the patriarchy. Blame the man. Uh, it's either basically, capitalism or it's the man. Or right. Both. Basically, what happened is how the Western concept of how we now do birth uh, started happening when men, male doctors, started getting more involved in the birthing process. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of uh, theories as to why the position had changed. But what I want to share with you is the most fascinating of the theories I came across. It seems likely enough that I'm going to say it might as well be true. Okay. Which is how your wife gave birth was directly influenced by a French king's fetish for watching women have babies. I've heard about this before. I didn't realize that it was a fetish. I thought he just hid behind the curtains because he wanted to see how the baby came out. I, we know that he did do that, but it is alleged that he did it because he found it thrilling. Just like Kurt Cobain had a fetish for bodily fluids in the birthing process, there are some people that are really into medical and the nitty gritty and the details of mm -hmm. how this stuff happens. And if you are a king and are in control of an entire country, you get to indulge in the things that you find interesting easier than anyone else. Good to be the king. It's good to be the king. You're going to be able to access whatever it is that tickles your fancy easier than anyone else in the entire country. Allegedly, Louis XIV had a thing for watching women give birth. Mm -hmm. And he com he complained that the position that the birthing happens, he can't see the action. He's like, this is no good for me. My fetish can't is to watch this. this. <laughs> Am I supposed All to stroke myself during these kind of births? Well, we don't know. Allegedly that he watched and allegedly that it was arousing for him, but he needed to see the detail enough mm -hmm. that he requested that the birthing position be changed. And he requested that they give birth lying on their back, with their legs spread so that he could better see what was happening. Mm -hmm. And it's good to be king. Like you said, one single person, We've we, we previously did a podcast where Freud's nephew was able to become an ad person who used really deep psychological marketing and he got approached by Dixie Cups and Dixie Cups are like, hey, we want you to sell cups. He's like, no problem. I'll come up with a committee. I will stress how bad germs are, how great it is to have solo use cups. And the world is so much more heavily polluted because one man got paid by a corporation to plant the germ of an idea. Like I said, it's either capitalism yes. or it's the man. It's the man. So the, a king was able to say, I enjoy watching birth. So the entire world should change how birthing happens. So I have a better view of the action. And it's not outside the realm of possibility. That is what happened. And that is why your wife gave birth in the position she did is because of a French king's fetish for watching children be born. And I've also heard that it's more convenient for the doctors as well, because they can just be there. They don't have to get down on the ground and sure, get sure. Again, it's the man. It was it was all fine when women were helping each other, but the man gets involved and he's like, hey, my back, like my hips, mm -hmm. like this is going to be harder for you. The birthing process is going to go on longer. You have more chance of injury, but uh it'll help my neck. So sucks to be you. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize, I guess I should have, that people would have a birthing fetish because people have fetishes, have for, fetishes everything. for everything. 
I know people have a pregnancy fetish and they, they really like the breeding fetish yes. and then yes that's you, a unfortunately big one. it's only lasts a certain amount of time and then you have to move on and then have another one what happens to all the babies that were made to satisfy your fetish? There's like a whole trail of them behind you. Mm-hmm. That's a very time-consuming and expensive fetish to have. Yeah. Speaking of fetishes, mm-hmm. there is a new study that was published in the Journal of Current Psychology, which found that people stigmatize BDSM practitioners more than the gay and lesbian population. In the course of doing research for this podcast, I did come across that study. And as someone who has a dog in the race, I would say that I agree with that. That that people stigmatize yes. the BDSM. Because I think, I don't know if it's because they see it as more of a choice. Whereas I know that your argument is that you're born kinky. And that right. this is just something that naturally happens. Just like people are born mm-hmm. gay. It's just, you don't have a choice. It's just what speaks to you. Right, And even though there are a lot more depictions of BDSM in pop culture lately, some people pointing to, of course, Fifty Shades of Grey and everything like that, but they're also not completely representative of the lifestyle as they're portrayed. Yes, I agree that where people get hung up is that they, that they view that it's a, a choice, it's a fetish, it's a predilection. You can't help but be gay or trans, or but you can choose whether or not to indulge in kinky wiring. Mm-hmm. And I can see why it would be harder for people to accept, but we're at a point now where being accepted for being homosexual is much more common than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And then you start factoring in trans, you start factoring in polyamory, you start factoring in uh, kinky wiring. It's all different, I'm not going to say shades of gray, but it's all different stuff that's being accepted at a different pace, but I also, it's core parts of human behavior. Mm-hmm. We've always been this way. Yeah. There's just more discussion happening now. Yeah. And of course, the people that were just in heterosexual romantic relationships didn't have as much stigma as either the gay lesbian right. cohort or the ones asked about BDSM because they, they took 257 participants and then broke them up randomly to ask them about the targeted group. And they did select away when they were trying to select their participants in the study. They didn't use anybody that engaged in BDSM practices or were themselves part of the gay or lesbian community? I'd say that's a very small sample pool with some very limiting restrictions Hmm. placed on it. I'm not going to remove it all. Well, they wanted a sample of the heterosexual representation of society, since they are the largest segment of society. They're very well represented. Yes, they are. They've got all sorts of representation. It would also skew the results if they're just asking people that have a positive view on the gay and lesbian society or the BDSM practitioners and be like, oh, yeah, I practice yeah. I think they're fine. There's no yeah, problem. that's true. So that's, that's why true. they wanted to get this representative sample of quote unquote normal heterosexual people. So I'm not normal then. Are any of us really normal? (laughs) I don't think so, no. The other thing that surprised me about this study is they sourced the 250 participants from Amazon's Mechanical Turk, which is a platform 
to find people to do different work for you or participate in these different things. And the people that generally use that platform tend to be younger and more educated than other people that wouldn't even know that Amazon's Mechanical Turk even exists. So the people they did get to participate did skew a lot younger and a lot more highly educated. So it was surprising that even accounting for that, there was still a stigma it's against not surprising to me. BDSM it makes per- and yeah. homosexuality. I can see that. I've just yes. to, to all the signs that I've seen, it seems like there's more and more acceptance of those things with the younger groups, like the older. Yeah, crowd, there's still sure, a long they, way to they, go. Yeah, they have their stigmas and everything, but yeah, it was just surprising that still, even amongst the younger, more tech savvy, educated people, there's still such a stigma attached to these two things. Humans are really into stigma and shame and suppression. It's we're super into it as a hobby. We've been doing it for all of human history, unfortunately. I hate to say it. Mm-hmm. I genuinely and truly believe that people are wired for kink proclivities the same way that they'd be wired for homosexual proclivities or if you know that you're trans. Uh, but it gets viewed as, as a choice, much like people or like I could be sympathetic or someone with cancer, but if you have mental illness or substance abuse, that's a choice. You're mm. choosing to be depressed and to abuse alcohol. And there's less sympathy for people. And I dream of a future where that changes. Uh, I dream of a future where people- You can people, harvest organs from a mini you. And you don't get- and you don't get shamed for the things that turn you on. Mm-hmm. As you may recall, it took me a little while to watch Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Everyone had raved about it, and I, I don't front burner watching TV shows. It's not that I mean I do watch them, but it's hard for me to find the time. I'm mm-hmm. used to doing other stuff. I finally, ten years later than everyone else, got around to watching. Breaking Bad, and it's great. I can understand what everyone was talking about. It's really good. <laughs> I know I'm a little late. I don't think we have to worry about spoiler alerts because I'm. I assume that everybody's seen it by now. Maybe you're one of the last. I'm. I'm probably one of the last people, and I loved it. Well, you know what? There's there's new people born every moment. So (laughs) every every moment and every every day, there is somebody born that has not seen it yet. I'm not going to do any spoilers, but I'm going to say I understand now why people were praising it so highly. And one of the things that I really loved unexpectedly for me was how great of a character the the lawyer was. Better mm-hmm. call Saul, right? Yeah, Saul Goodman. Yes, played quite well, I might add, by Bob Odenkirk, mm-hmm. who indeed did such a good job, he managed to pull a spinoff. Yeah. And the and spinoff's pretty good too. I've, I've watched that's the first couple what seasons I've of heard. that. I've heard that the spinoff's really good. Now, mm-hmm. if you are following the news, uh, you do know that he had a massive health condition and collapsed on set and almost died. I think I heard something about that. I have right. right. It was news. Yeah. okay. Well, he he almost died. It okay. was extreme, okay. and what blew him away was he didn't realize quite how beloved he was. Like he's, you know, like I'm a character actor, sure, I've got this show, but he didn't realize how liked he was. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there were some people, it was a public outpouring all over. I remember it was, you know, 
trending on Twitter and people were losing their mind. Mm. And he almost, Bob almost dies when he comes back. He's, he was like, it was Sally Fields for him. I was like, you, you like me. You, you really like me. He didn't realize the Mm -hmm. level of, of joy that people felt about him. Mm -hmm. And uh, as some people who've had a near death experience will change after the fact and Bob has changed. How has he changed, you might ask? How has Bob Odenkirk changed from this experience? Well, he gives less fucks about the stuff that he's into. And as it turns out, old Bob has a little bit of a foot fetish. Okay. No stigma. No stigma here for me. No stigma. How do we know that he has a foot fetish? Because when you are at his level of celebrity people pay attention to who you follow on social media. Mm-hmm. In fact, they write articles. So-and-so unfollowed this person. They must have broken up. Oh, now things are better. They've refollowed. I don't pay that close attention. I, I really can't be bothered. But he is evidently on Instagram only following 28 people. So it's a very short list. <laughs> uh, they're all feet. No, 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 no. He was following 28 people and the 29th account that he chose to follow of his very short list was perfect feet in sexy shoes. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's you know in probably industry contacts, like, you know, incredibly close friends, the famous people circle of like, you know, I'm not going to follow a ton of people on Instagram. But after almost dying and my ticker going out and me having a close call, I realized I am out of fucks to give. I do indeed enjoy me some feet. Mm-hmm. And it got so much attention, he started getting publicly shamed on social media to the point that people were saying enough about it. He ended up unfollowing the account. Mm-hmm. He got shamed for his feet. Stigma with people with kinks. Ah, yes. So I dream of a world where Bob can be out and proud about his love of feet. Or can indulge in all those sexy feet and high heels he wants. Perfect, perfect feet. All those perfect feet. I don't know what makes a perfect foot. uh, I do. Five toes. (laughs) It's the length of the toe. It's the shape of the nail. It's how high the arch is. Uh, it's the it's the shape of the joints, but I, I can go on. Mm. I know I'm, you could write I've a got, dissertation on what I makes a some, perfect foot. I have some opinions about feet, but uh, you know, I haven't ever actually bothered to follow any foot worshiping accounts on Instagram. And the fact that Bob did goes to show how much that man does love him some feet. And I wish that he hadn't been shamed enough to end up unfollowing. Mm. But I hope he still. In a quiet moment, shelter from the storm can mm-hmm. snuggle up against the soul with a nice, good, fresh pedicure mm-hmm. and enjoy himself a little. Now he has to indulge in it like all the rest of us. You just open up a, a private browsing tab <laughs> and go to the porn sites that you want so nobody will ever know what you've visited. Put your browser into porn mode, as they say. <laughs> I, I dream of a world where there is less shame about that stuff. Speaking of less shame. I have a 30-foot high rotating statue holding a small pope for you. Is it in your backyard? <laughs> you have it for it's... me. I was I don't have a place to put a 30-foot tall statue with a pope. I don't have it for you personally. You would have to go to Constance, Germany in order to view this statue. Okay. But what 
makes this statue, I can say with confidence, one of a kind in the world, is that it is 29.5 feet high. Okay. It weighs 18 tons, and it is a sex worker named Impura. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would suggest not giving it to me because I don't think my HOA would approve this as a lawn ornament. Not only is it a 29.5 foot high, 18 ton statue of a sex worker named Impura, she is cradling two naked figures in her hands. It's important mm-hmm. that the two tiny naked men that she's cradling in her hand, one is Pope Martin V and one is Holy Roman Emperor Sigmund. Is that because they're from this German town? No. That is because if you are a big follower in German history, there was the Council of Constance that was summoned, pressured, created by Holy Roman Emperor Sigmund, which the sex worker is holding in her hand. Small, naked Sigmund. Yes, because there was a schism. There was uh, at a point... In 1409, there was actually three popes simultaneously, and the popes were battling it out to see who could be the pope. Pope fight. And there, there was. It was the. It was a pope very fight. Fun, 09. It, it was yeah, 1409. The pope fight went down. So the Holy Roman Emperor's like, we're going to summon this council, and you're going to get this shit figured out. Mm-hmm. Now, the Council of Constance was a really big thing to get figured out because you're trying to figure out how you're going to get these three popes merged. And the council went on for four years. Oh, okay. So long, there's a lot of men pondering very important shit. Possibly some sex workers involved as well. Yes. They employed the services of roughly 700 sex workers during this- Of course. Four years. Yeah. They need at least that many. Keep those women busy. I mean, I so was thinking a hundred a year, but wow, they were a, they went above and beyond. Well, seven seven hundred sex workers for in a four year period, and they kept. And some sources claim it went up to one thousand five hundred women. Mm-hmm. So these were some very horny religious men needing to figure out the Pope issue. Very but pious, also, very devout, religious, horny men. That they also really needed, celebrating their vow of celibacy. They need to have the poison drained so that they can think clearly about matters of God. Of course. You got to you got to drain the snake. I think they should bring that back whenever the new pope whenever they go into the Sistine Chapel to elect a new pope. I think they should <laughs> go in there with a couple of hookers as well before they burn their little white smoke or I think they should have a pope fight like WrestleMania just get all the cardinals together put them in a ring and just like battle royal style and that's how they decide the new pope. I would be more religious. If that I were would. The case. I would. I would watch. I that think. Yeah, for because sure. your Christianity is falling off. If they, <laughs> if the new Catholic Church, if they want to get people involved again, I guarantee Just, you put a bunch of like old men in a ring and have them fight each other for Pope. That would bring people back into the fold. It's true. It's a free idea there, Catholic Church. You don't have to pay me <laughs> that. I'm just offering that up for you on a plate. Something I would watch. You're welcome. Put it on, on ESPN Ocho. I'm oh, sorry. I'm I'm a little distracted. I'm sorry. actually you're just thinking about popes. The, I, like, I am. I am. I think each I, other. Am, I am. I am. Yeah. It's glorious. Thunderdome style. I, yes. <laughs> so anywho, these holy men were getting the the venom drained out of the snake on the regular, and today in modern times, 
the town decided that they wanted to have some sort of statue made. And what makes the statue striking is it's not just that it's a 30 foot high sex worker holding a naked Pope. She's rotating on a base. So she's making a full complete circle. And the sculptor they got to do it said, okay, sure. I will make a sculpture for you, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Mm. Like I demand artistic license and complete creative freedom. And I will take on this project, but I am not going to let you know what it is until it's unveiled. And if you hate it when it's unveiled, then we'll remove it. But I think you're going to love it, which is a- <laughs> You're going to love a, it. I guarantee you. I mean, that's a lot it. of faith from the putter this guy. Lot, like, I'm not yeah. telling you what I'm doing. could do whatever yes. I want, but I guarantee you're going to like it. Uh, his name is Peter Leek. I don't know uh, if I would be ballsy enough to give anybody money up front for something like that. I'd be like, okay, yeah, I trust you. Whatever. And then he comes back with a 30-foot statue of a prostitute with two naked, <laughs> the naked Pope and the Holy Roman he, Emperor. He would not, the sculptor would not disclose any details on exactly what the statue would be. He claimed artistic license and he offered to take it down if it wasn't liked. And the mayor said, I just ask one small favor. Please don't put up any naked women. <laughs> Done. And 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 the the statue, she's wearing a shift. One breast is out, mm -hmm. but the other nipple is almost covered mm. and it's cut she's technically not naked. But provocative. She's you you can say that she's wearing clothes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But but uh she might as well be naked. And so he held up his part of the bargain. He's like, yeah, sure. He did. I'll throw some clothes I, I on kinda, her. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Technically, she is wearing clothes. She's wearing a swash of cloth. <laughs> yes, very form fitting, and it, she must be damp because it is sticking. It's a bit painted on her. What I love about this is the reveal happens, and it's like here is your not naked woman that you asked for. She is a sex worker, and she's a tribute to the seven hundred to one thousand five hundred sex workers that drained all the holy staffs for the four years the council is happening. And as it turns out, the town ended up loving the statue. Who wouldn't? They, they've, <laughs> they've I mean, my HOA it. wouldn't want it, but I All can right. imagine. I have a big rotating statue on my front lawn of this 30-foot tall prostitute with two small naked men. Yes. But who wouldn't love that? And there's been uh, some petitions. There's been you know calls to have it removed. Some but clutching the long of pearls. There's been some pearls clutched. Mm-hmm. But the longer it's around, the more people like it. And it's now become a massive tourist attraction and people go out of their way to visit uh, the statue. The same thing like the Eiffel Tower. People hated it. Now it's yeah, the symbol yeah, they, of France. Right. I do. I remember doing a deep dive research into the Eiffel Tower and people loathed it. The mm -hmm. essays they wrote about how horrible it was. Give it time. Mm -hmm. It'll grow on you. I hear this what people say about wine. If you give it a chance, you're taste buds will develop and you'll actually appreciate wine. That what all will tell you about the wine is that the more you drink, the better it tastes. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Mm, yes. you just, I mean, if you don't like it, just get through those first couple classes. <laughs> tastes wonderful after that. <laughs> Noted. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think that does it for this week. I super enjoyed myself. Nice. I really had fun doing research. I came up with some cool topics. I... It's always learned fun some, around here. I learned something thought, new yeah. about the Pope. I got to look into this uh, 
council where they had all yeah. the, the prostitutes, a four-year council with prostitutes. Yes. I figured it was just going to be a big party. Like, oh, we can't decide on Pope. We just got to sequester ourselves and party for four years. We'll figure it out. Bring on the women. Deliberation, diplomacy, and negotiations, which mm. usually involve alcohol and sexy times, mm -hmm. I've noticed. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, why don't you give these fine people a non-judgmental jaunty salute? Here it is. It's it's both jaunty and free of judgment. Catch you all next week. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs>